Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 250, and today we are talking about books being released on March 10th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa! Liberty! Welcome to the show in a permanent capacity. <laughs> it's nice to be in my new little home. Yes, you will be our new second Tuesday person. That is me, and it's uh, I'm, I'm here on like a cool day, a cool episode day. Yes, this is our 250th episode of All the Books, which is bananas! That's a lot of books. Yeah, it is. Um, And I've been here for 249 of them. And I only missed one for very sad reasons that we won't go into. So, like, I like to think that I've been here for, for like, all of them. You've literally only missed one in that whole time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I was doing a little math with a calculator because I can't do math. Uh, (laughs) And it... If you count how many books we've talked about on episode, each episode, like, so 250 episodes plus we each talk about eight books each episode plus a book that we're reading. So uh, sometimes we do more, but let's just say like 10 books per episode. That's 2,500 books that we've talked about on the show. And the average length of a book that I read, I figured out, is around 320 pages. So like, say the average length of a book is 300 pages. That's like three quarters of a million pages that of books that we've discussed, which is a lot when you say that. Um, And the average time of an episode is 35 minutes. So 35 minutes times 250 episodes is 8,750 minutes, which sounds like a lot. But then when you start to break it down, that's almost 146 hours, which sounds like a lot. But then it's just over six straight days if you were to listen to every episode, which I feel like after doing this for five years, I'm like, all of my work amasses to less six than a days. week. <laughs> which what am doesn't I doing with sound like, doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. And it's amazing. And it's so much fun. And I'm glad that you're here to enjoy this with me and all the people out there listening to. Um, and now we're going to talk about books. Let's do that. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. Okay, so 250th episode. Oh, 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 and I wanted to tell you, I'm so excited. Um, we still have 
the link for merchandise from when we did the 200th episode, which you can uh, buy. It does not say 200th episode on it, so technically it works for any time. You can take a Sharpie, write 250 on it, do whatever you want. <laughs> um, so that link is in the show notes. So if you want to get an All the Books shirt or a sticker, it has a banana wearing pants because, of course, it does. It's pretty awesome. So that link is still working uh, in the show notes. Okay, so on to today's books. Woohoo! My first pick is The Animals at Lockwood Manor by Jane Healy. I was very excited to read this book because it is based on fact, and I had never heard this part of history before, but it takes place in England in during World War II, and it's based on the true events uh, back then when the city was under siege and they knew that there was going to be a lot of bombings. They started evacuating. You know, They moved like the women and children out of the city for the most part, and they took the collections in museums and sent them off to homes out in the country. And so the Natural History Museum took their entire collection and put it in these giant estates. Uh, and so, like, the, you know, like Downton Abbey, if you watch Downton Abbey, you see, like, how they took in a bunch of soldiers in one episode that were injured. And people would take in, like, um, families, and they would also take in collections. And I was thinking, like, if I had the option, like take in a bunch of women and children or, you know, cram an entire museum's collection within the walls of my home, I, I think I might go with the collection, <laughs> you know? It's like, won't talk back, won't make noise. Like, so this is what happens. And there's actually a house that was called Faulty Court, which is the house that Mr. Toad's house is based on in Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. It's this giant house. Um, and along with the the exhibits that would be sent out to these homes, they would send like a curator from the museum to sort of watch over it because you're not going to be like, hey, can you take care of all our priceless stuff? Okay, peace out. So someone would actually go and live at the home with these collections. And at Faulty Court, this this real home, um, it turns out that like there was a father and daughter living there and they had a very contentious relationship with the museum curator who stayed with them and like they wouldn't light fires. They were trying to like freeze them out and there was all kinds of stuff. And and um, Jane Healy heard about some of this, and she herself lived in a very um, fancy manor home at some point. Not as big as as the one in this book, but she talked about it a little bit at the beginning of this novel. Um, the one that has, like, those old bells for, like, the servants that you see. Like, again, I'm going to reference Downton Abbey, like, that long row of bells, like, ringing from different rooms. And she would talk about, like, how when she was little and she lived there, she was really worried that one of those bells would ring because they were no longer you know, in operation, but she was worried that, like, she would hear them ringing, and, and that would freak me out, too. Like, I would be very scared if I heard that ringing. Um, and it kind of gave her this idea. And so now let's talk about the book. <laughs> it's about a woman named Hetty Cartwright. Uh, this is exactly what is happening in the book. Her She works at the Natural History Museum. Um, even though she works just as hard as everyone else there, there are very few women who work there, and they get paid way less than the men who work there. But because of the war, a lot of her coworkers have enlisted. And so the responsibility to take care of the collection from the Natural uh, History Museum, Mystery Museum, that's pretty great, um, <laughs> falls to her. And so her collection is going to Lockwood Manor, which is a giant estate with 92 rooms. Uh, Mr. Lockwood and his daughter Lucy live there. The her mother Lucy's mother and her grandmother were recently killed in a car accident, and so it's just him and Lucy now. And so she goes off to the country with the collection, and right away things are very strange. When she gets there, this woman is like leaving the house, and she's crying, and she gives 
Hetty this like really nasty look and she's like, I don't know why this woman doesn't like me, but you know, she looks like she, you know, she was really mad at her. She doesn't know what's going on there. And then Mr. Lockwood is sort of very icy towards her. And then they leave her alone to kind of walk around and look at things. And she finds a knife stabbed in the middle of a table and the servants are not very friendly, but they do mention to her that like there are ghosts. They have seen ghosts right around where she's going to be staying in this whole wing of the house by herself, uh, which is also helpful. Uh, she does, however, like Lucy Lockwood. She meets Lucy Lockwood, and she finds her to be very beguiling. And they strike up a friendship. But things are just weird. And, uh, like, from the very first night, Hetty wakes up the after her first night in the country home and discovers that the jaguar from their exhibit is missing. Just, like, whole big stuffed jaguar gone. Because, like, this is the Natural History Museum, so you have lots of dead animals, lots of, like... You know, stuffed birds and things like that. So, like, the stuffed jaguar is just gone. Like, the space where it was is gone. Now, like, a stuffed jaguar just can't get up and walk off. Or can it? She doesn't know what happened. Um, so she's, like, running around the house asking people if they've seen a jaguar. And they're looking at her like she's very strange. Um, and then just more mishaps like that kind of happen. And is Hetty imagining them? Is it, like, paranoia because she's all by herself in this wing and, you know, it's dark and it's unfamiliar? Um, or is there something otherworldly in the house that is indeed trying to get to her? Um, and as we find out what is unfolding, the chapters go back and forth. There are some chapters from Lucy's point of view talking about, like, her mother and how her mother had thought, like, she was haunted and she had, ter like, terrible nerves when, when Lucy was young. And it's all very gothic, very exciting. Um, it's really fun. So it is called The Animals at Lockwood Manor, and it's by Jane Healy. I wanted to read that one, but, you know, what else? But you still can. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally will now. I love that cover. It's really gorgeous. It is. All that talk of the bells makes me think when I was a kid, I was obsessed with, I mean, a lot of Disney movies, but Cinderella, and they had the bells in that movie. And I used to ask my mom, like, if I could get those in my room, and she could just call <laughs> me using the bells. And she was like, yeah, how about no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. That was not something that was granted. Aww. Oh, well. Well, you're an adult, so you can have one now. <laughs> I'll work on that. Okay, so I'm going to talk about my first book, which is Deceit and Other Possibilities by Vanessa Hua. And... This is one that, as I was reading about it, I was like, why does this, like, kind of sound familiar? And I realized it's because it was first published in 2016. Um, but there are now, uh, so they, when it was first published, it was with 10 stories, and now three new stories have been added, so now we've got 13. It's a collection that of, of stories that are all set more or less in, like, the San Francisco Bay, and they're all told from the perspective of like, the, the different folks from the immigrant communities there. So there's some uh, Chinese-American, Mexican-American, Korean-American, and I think um, Armenian, a couple others. And it really dives into that feeling that I think anybody who comes from an immigrant family feels living here. It's, you know, you're juggling with that sense of having like a split identity. In Spanish, we say it's ni de aquí ni de allá, like neither from here nor from there. And... They're all very, very unique stories from one another that tackle that, that like problem of self-definition. There's one story about a Korean-American pastor who is doing like missionary work in Africa, but he is juggling with the fact that he knows dang well that the reason he's doing it is because it's like an amazing photo op and will look good for his church back home that needs funding. But uh, kind of weighs that with the fact that there's that spiritual side of him that tells him that all things happen for a reason. And so, you know, is he meant to be doing this or is does this make him a bad person? Is he just out here trying to make things work as an immigrant? 
um, or, you know, Amer- Korean American man. There's another story about kind of the idea of the good immigrant. There's this young college aged daughter who, because of the pressures of, you know, filial piety, essentially goes off to ostensibly to school every day, except she's not. She's pretending to be a student at Stanford University. And it, that one really dives into that place of like feeling like you need to fit a particular category of like the model minority. That story has always resonated with me. And I, I, I loved that one. And there's another one that's about like an undocumented family, Mexican immigrants, and a son realizes that his mom has been unfaithful and that she's essentially leading this like whole alternate life that is much happier than the one that she lives, you know, with her actual family. They're all very touching. They all make you think. And like I said, definitely straddle that uh, conversation that a lot of folks have of like, I just don't feel like I quite fit in either one of these two boxes in my, like, you know, the the name, my Chinese American, Mexican American, et cetera, name. So it feels very of the moment. I think if you liked or or even if you if you haven't read it, you should go read The Good Immigrant that was edited by, I think, Nikesh Shukla and Shimon Suleiman. This would be a really good accompany to that because that one is obviously nonfiction, but this one dives into a lot of those same ideas from a fictional perspective. And I've been meaning to read more like short story stuff so that fit in with that plan. So again, that is Deceit and Other Possibilities by Vanessa Hua. All right. My next pick is New Waves by Kevin Gwen. And it's such a stellar debut. I loved this book so much. It's about a young Asian American man named Lucas Gwen. And he has a best friend named Margot. They work together at this giant social media site um and Margot is a young black woman they are roughly around the same age um she's a young black woman she is an engineer she you know at the beginning she we learned that she makes like five times what lucas makes um she's a genius but because she is a woman and because she is a black woman like she she doesn't get a lot of respect people don't listen to her ideas and she has like a really hard time at work um and so they kind of like get together at the end of the day and complain about work and and hang out at the bar and they've just they just hit it off they found out that they have this sort of shared website from their past uh together like they were both on this website uh about pirating stuff and they discovered like they met each other like in real life and so that kind of like bonded them together now lucas lucas just answers the phones and works customer service um which is a lousy job and he does not get paid much and you know nobody really pays any attention to him like you know he leaves work early and nobody notices uh and the story goes back and forth like we learn at the very beginning like i'm not spoiling anything um but at the very beginning, Margot gets sort of quit fired. That sort of thing where, like, she's mad and she kind of gets fired, but also she quits at the same time. And now she's at this bar and Lucas meets her there at the end of the day. Uh, and she says, you know, I want to I want to do something to to my former employer, his current employer. You know, it's only been a matter of hours. Um, and so they get super drunk and they decide to go back to the office and copy all the user information um, from the people on this website. And they think that they're just taking the emails, but it turns out that they end up with all of the information, which is extremely illegal. And, you know, again, they're just like, we're so drunk, and they think it's like a funny, like, good idea. They're not going to do anything with it, but she just wants to do this. And Margot can talk Lucas into pretty much anything. And so now uh, it it jumps ahead, and we find out that uh, Margot has been struck and killed by a car 
uh, while she was leaving a bar one night. And it's kind of like, Margot is always very careful. She's always with other people. So like, how did this happen? Did it, was it an accident? So you're kind of like wondering about that while the story goes on. Um, Lucas meets with, with Margot's mother who wants him to uh, delete her Facebook, like shut down her Facebook. Like there's something you can do on Facebook now where you can have like a legacy account where you can say like, if something happens to me, if I die, uh, I want so-and-so to keep my account running as a legacy account. So like that person is in charge of your account and can add people or let other people see your account if it's private. And you can also decide to like have your account shut down. Uh, and, but Margot struck and killed by a car. did not make any plans for this. And Margot's mother wants the, um, wants her Facebook account taken down, but she doesn't know how to go about doing it. And so she asked Lucas to help her. And so now he's getting uh, into her computer, trying to figure out how to do this and realizing that they still have all this information that they stole from his former employer. He no longer works there. Margot got a new job and she said she would not work there unless Lucas was brought on board as well. So they had been working together at this new company uh, when she was killed. Um, and so he's trying to figure out how to shut down Facebook and what to do with this information that they took. And he kind of finds out more about Margot as he's looking up all the stuff on her computer. He has her laptop now. Um, so this book it sounds very strange to say, I guess, but it was so easy to read. It was just like, I just sat back and I just took it all in and it was so wonderful. I thought it was written perfectly. You know, it wasn't too confusing. I liked the flow of it. Like, I just thought it was so easy to read. And I was like, this was just such a good book. And so, you know, and again, like you get to the end and it's like, was this an accident? Um, but it's also like about race, you know, like, like I said, you know, Margot, even though she's making all this money, you know, she's incredibly disrespected in her job. Um, you know, Lucas talks about all the stereotypes he encounters, uh, being an Asian American, all the racism that he has to put up with. Um, and it's also about like grief and friendship and our online footprints. Like, have you thought about if you have a Facebook account, like what you would do or what you would want if something happened to you, you know, or like what would be left out there for people to see, you know, if something happened to you? Um, it's just, it's so good. I was looking, after I read it, I would like to go to Goodreads and like look and see what other people say about things and a lot of people are like this book is not very adventuresome not a lot happens and I 100% agree but like in a totally positive way like it's just it's just beautiful and quiet and it's it's very like heartfelt and I loved it I'm, I could just keep saying that over and over so I'm gonna stop now but I, I love this debut it's called New Waves and it's by Kevin Gwen. Easy reading sounds lovely these days, so I have no problem with that. It, it sounds, like, really weird to say, right? Because, like, you know, it's easy to read books, but, like, it, it just – it felt like it was just happening with or without me, <laughs> if that makes any <laughs> sense, you know? It, was it does. Just, it was lovely. That's a great experience. All right. So my next pick is A Phoenix First Must Burn, edited by Patrice Caldwell. So I picked this book sheerly because I thought the cover was awesome at first. And I was like, oh, let me see what else is about. And then I saw that it was pitched as evoking Beyonce's lemonade for a teen audience. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got to cop that. And then I saw this list of contributors. It is stellar. I don't remember all of them off the top of my head, but there's Elizabeth Acevedo, Danielle Clayton, Justina Ireland, I think L.L. McKinney. Oh, Amari. Amari, for, <laughs> for anybody that's like a – listened to like early 2000s late 90s r&b saying this 
one very popular song. I didn't know that she was a writer, but apparently she did. Um, so anyway, that was a fun little surprise. And then Evie's a boy is in this too. If you liked Pride, um, I, I love, love Evie's boy. So anyway, really stellar list, like I said. The book is dedicated to Octavia Butler and to Tony obviously Toni Morrison. And Patrice Caldwell explains that, you know, she grew up on the Twilight Zone, Star Wars, and, you know, hated that when she went to the library, didn't see anybody in books that looked like her, which is, you know, a theme (laughs) that I definitely preach about all dang day. So this collection is sort of dedicated to telling stories about blackness, specifically that explore black women, black gender nonconforming people, and framing that experience through fantasy, science fiction, and magic. I don't – I'm not done with it. I don't know which of these is my favorite story. (laughs) There's so many great ones. I'm on the one by Danielle Clayton right now, and it's just so fantastic. But yeah, it's super – Magical, science fiction-y, and just full of beautiful brown people, which is a thing that I want more and more of. So if that sounds interesting to you, you should definitely pick this up. Again, so many awesome authors that you – if you ha- aren't already reading, this is kind of a cool way to – you know, an entry into their work. But, oh, it was so much fun. And I'm actually doing this on audio, which is fantastic because a lot of these um, folks narrate their own stuff, which, yay. So that is A Phoenix First Must Burn, edited by Patrice Caldwell. Evie Zaboy and Justina Ireland, both former book rioters, which is exciting. Oh, my God. Why did I not know that? I knew about yeah. Justina. I did not know about Evie. What? <laughs> yeah. Super exciting. We have lots of cool people who have been rioters and cool people who are rioters now. Yeah, we're cool. <laughs> so my next pick is Black Widow, A Sad, Funny Journey Through Grief for People Who Normally Avoid Books with Words Like Journey in the Title by Leslie Gray Streeter. Now. I've said this before, but I think there must be, like, a minimum word count for parenthetical titles for nonfiction books. They're always <laughs> so long. They're they so are. long. Samantha Irby, she's she's my hero. All I have to say is, like, wow, no thank you, and that's the name. But, I mean, <laughs> nice. I don't mind it long, you know, it's because it tells you a lot about the book right there. But, man, parenthetical titles are long. Anyway, moving on. Uh, this is a memoir. And it's going to sound really weird to say that this is one of the funniest, most charming books I've read in a long time because it is about uh, Leslie Gray Streeter's life as a widow. Um, but it she she understands if you feel this way um, because it she's very funny and it's it's very sweet. It's heartbreaking. Um, basically, uh, when she was in her late thirties, uh, she worked as a Palm, I can't say Palm apparently today. She works as a Palm Beach Post columnist uh, and she met like the love of her life. She met the one. His name was Scott. They got married. They made plans to adopt a son. And then Scott had a fatal heart attack just one evening, completely unexpected, obviously. And that was it. Like, changed her life just like that. Um, and so she talks about that. But first she talks about, like, growing up in Baltimore, um, She how she feels like she didn't have um, the experience that a lot of people expected a young black woman in Baltimore to have. Like, she had very loving parents. She had a twin sister. They had a lovely home. Um, her parents both worked and stayed together her whole life. And she talks, like, she says, like, she knows this is the norm, but, like, for other people that would, you know, visit her city, they'd be like, wow, you know. Um, she talks about, like, the the parents of uh, a friend of hers, 
uh, dropping her off and just being surprised that her home was nice. Um, and, you know, she was upset that her dad was a bus driver. But, you know, now she talks about how she appreciates the fact that, like, bus drivers, you know, they they work and people take the bus. And because of them, things happen. And, like, now she appreciates, like, what her dad did for her and what she had as a child. But she also realizes that even with with that, that, you know, as a black woman in America, she was labeled other. And she did not have as many things as, you know, the white people in her neighborhood and the white people in America. I um, mean, she talks a lot about that. Like, it talks about, like, what it's like to show up to get your hair cut at a hair, at a hair place that says, you know, walk-ins welcome, only to be told that, you know, she can't just walk in because there's no one there who can do her hair. Uh, and so stuff like that, that, that you know, she notices. Um, and then she talks about her unexpected widowhood, you know, what that's like. Uh, she was married to Scott, who was white and Jewish, while she was black and Christian. And the support that they got from both families when they got married and also the support that she got when he died. Um, and, you know, things you should know, like when you when you lose your spouse unexpectedly. Uh, and, you know, you'll have a good cry. If you just want a good cry... This is a great book for that. If you want to laugh and be charmed, this is also a great book for that. Um, I, I thought it was fantastic. It is Black Widow, A Sad, Funny Journey Through Grief for People Who Normally Avoid Books with Words Like Journey in the Title by Leslie Gray Streeter. Whew, that's a lot of title. You did it. <laughs> All right. Before you tell me your next title, we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Okay. Now, hit me. All right, so my next one is Good Citizens Need Not Fear by Maria Reva. And this is another short story, kind of, they're like linked short story collection, sort of. Um, so it's all set around a crumbling apartment building in Ukraine right before, I think it's before, or is it in the aftermath of the fall of the Soviet Union? It's, it's right around then. And yeah, it's it's right. It's it's following actually the fall of the Soviet Union, and so it's these nine kind of interconnected narratives about those years leading up to that, and you know, kind of the chaos, but very much focusing on kind of the day to day lives and occurrences of these characters. The opening story says is this like funny one about this glitch that essentially wipes like an entire building off of all municipal records and that building has just lost their heat. So one of the residents goes to this, you know, to the, the, the authorities, if you will, to like complain about that. And they're like, nah, you don't exist. Sorry. Bye. And they're like, no, what do you mean? I don't exist. Like I live here. And they're like, yeah, it, it's not on the records. Like, so sorry. Bye. It's like, but, but we do like, there's a ton of people in this building. Like I'm telling you that this address is real and they kind of just like push him off. So he makes this very, sort of Kafka-esque plan for how to prove to them that the building does exist. There are there's another one that's got this character who comes through the whole kind of story. She she links it. Her name is, I think, Zaya. And she is four years old at the start of the collection. And when we meet her, she is in an orphanage. And she's <laughs> so she finds the mummified remains of another orphan <laughs> buried under the linoleum floorboards of the orphanage. Okay. You're laughing, so I was like... <laughs> so I think it's okay to laugh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not a thing one generally laughs at, but the part that made me laugh is that she immediately, when she sees it, she's like, oh, this is a saint here to send me a message and telling me like that I need to escape this place. So she does and eventually comes back to it. She's sort of thrown back into the orphanage. But uh, we watch her as she grows up and gets into lots of interesting situations. The whole thing is both really kind of darkly funny at times. It's 
strange situations that are caused by sort of political dysfunction and upheaval, but how even in the midst of chaos and like the upheaval of everything around you, their life still kind of has to go on. And so you still have to take care of the little things, like the little minutia of your own life, just because the outside world has much, you know, bigger things going on doesn't mean that any of that stops for you. Like when you lose heating in your building and you have to go complain about it. Um, it's reminded me a little bit of Christadora by Tim Murphy, which actually I think you recommended to me now that I'm thinking about it. So good. Yeah. <laughs> sort of that like just, you know, stories about all these different people in a building, obviously very, very different setting, but but deeply satisfying. I again, yes, I did laugh at the part where she finds the other Morphin under the floorboard just because the way she reacts to it is with a little bit of that sort of childlike wonder i guess for lack of a better term and again this author is just really great at finding dark humor in what otherwise would be like bleak situations so yeah i really enjoyed it it's good citizens need not fear by maria reba i get it you're preaching to the morbid choir so i (laughs) I understand uh, the laughing at things Um, my last pick so uh we were actually talking yesterday talking chatting online yesterday oh, you Vanessa. Know. um sometimes we read books that we don't enjoy and so we have to pick other ones uh and i did run out of options uh, because i picked up a few books that i was like mm, no for this so i am actually super excited because now i'm going to tell you about a book that i love so much because the third one comes out today uh, and i'm going to tell you about the first one so you will pick it up and read the first two um the book that is out today is called The Bramble and the Rose by Tom Bowman. And he, this is the third book in the Henry Farrell series. And the first book is called Dry Bones in the Valley. And I love this book so much. And I love the second one, Fateful Morning. Um, And I love the third one. So the first one, Dry Bones in the Valley, uh, is a sort of like quiet sort of mystery novel. It's a crime novel. Uh, I call it like a less alarming Daniel Woodrell novel or like a less alarming Cormac McCarthy novel. Um, Henry is the police officer and the only officer overseeing a small town in rural Pennsylvania. He is a widower. His wife died. Uh, They were living out west. His wife died. She was very young. He's very young. Um, And it's obviously affected him. He's still grieving, and he moves out to Pennsylvania to be the police officer and sort of be like solitary uh, and just you know do his job and be left alone. Um, and one day when he is making his rounds, he comes across an elderly recluse that he was he's doing this sort of like a wellness check, if I remember correctly. Um, his name is Aubrey, and Aubrey shows him this corpse in the woods in the uh, on the hill behind his house. Uh, he he has found this. After the the snow has thawed, he has found this corpse on his land, and you know Henry's like I don't know where this came from. Um, there's sort of like there there's a lot of um, meth dealers and meth making going out going on out in the woods back there. There's also um, fracking happening, and so it could be somebody who works for them. Um, and so he thinks that you know Aubrey has nothing to do with this. Uh, he's very old and he's he's neglected. Nobody checks on him, and he's he doesn't really have his wits all about him. Yet, despite this, um, other authorities who come to investigate the body decide to take Aubrey into custody, even though Henry tells them, like, he doesn't think that it's possible for him to have done this. Um, And so then we kind of find out, like, there is a history here in this little tiny town way before Henry came there, you know, like, you know, fighting families and grudges and secrets. And for, like, the reasons that I love Walter Mosley's detectives who are always just, like, one step ahead 
and super badass and cool and collected and always like whatever they come up with always works. Um, Henry is kind of like the opposite in that, you know, he's he's brave and because he's obviously he's brave. He's a police officer, you know, but and he's smart, but he also like screws up. And he's not sure what to do, and sometimes he makes bad choices, and that feels very realistic. Uh, and like I said, it's it's sort of you know a less alarming to Anna Woodrow, like you know, um, you know, crime out in the in the woods in the hills sort of novel. Um, it's just so good. It's been out for quite a while now, and I still talk about it once a month at somebody. Um, it's ca- so this one is called Dry Bones in the Valley, which is the first book in the Henry Farrell series. And the third one, The Bramble and the Rose, is out today. They are by Tom Bowman. We have a bit of an accidental theme because I, too, have picked a book that comes out, but that you there it's the, actually the fifth in a series. So I'm going to tell you about the first one so that you will Sweet. also read these. Um, so the one that comes out on Tuesday or t- Tuesday today, <laughs> at the time you're hearing this, is A Murderous Relation. And this is a Veronica Speedwell mystery by Deanna Rayborn. I just got into this series literally, I think, last weekend because I was feeling in my feelings and asked Jamie what I should read after reading the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry Thomas. She's like, oh, you should read these. And it just so happened that a new one was coming out. So that worked out nicely. The first one is A Curious Beginning. And at the start of that book, Veronica has just finished burying her aunt who raised her. She was raised by two of her aunts. She was an orphan and doesn't have any recollection of anything about her parents. She was very young when this all happened. And then these two women who she you know, affectionately calls her aunts took her in and raised her. She had kind of an interesting uh, growing up. They never really kept her in one place for more than very long. I think she mentions, I think, maybe two years being the most that she stayed in any place in the greater kind of United Kingdom, didn't have a traditional education. She was sort of, you know, schooled by the school of life sort of thing. But she's incredibly smart. She's grown up to be this very, very intelligent and very capable and independent woman. She is a lepidopterist, so she loves and studies butterflies. And she kind of lives life on her own terms, which one of her aunts was a little more supportive of than the other. But she she travels a ton. She's constantly going on overseas trips and staying there for a long time, coming back, and is very open and candid about the fact that she loves butterflies and the company of men. <laughs> and she's you know kind of stands up in that, which is a big deal given that these books are all set in you know kind of stodgy Victorian England when everyone sort of likes to turn their nose up at that sort of behavior in a woman. And so, again, she's just finished burying the aunt when she notices that somebody might be following her. But she's like, okay, well, deal with that later. I'm actually taking off to America for a while. I'm going to go chase more butterflies. And when she comes home, I think, from running an errand, she notices that someone, there's like an intruder inside her aunt's cottage. And so she goes in there and is like, I'm going to show him, you know, who's who (laughs) and thinks she's going to defend herself. But he attacks her back and he's much bigger than she is and actually tries to drag her into this carriage that's kind of waiting outside when that guy that had been following her intervenes on her behalf and sort of, you know, rescues her. So the bad guy gets away and this gentleman who is of German extraction and his name is, uh, I forget, but he's a baron. And he tells her, like, you're in grave danger. I knew your parents. Please come with me. Please, please, please. She's like, well, no, everything's fine. He was just a regular old burglar. Like, I'm taking off to go live my life. He's like, at least let me escort you to the city. And then, you know, we can talk from there. And she's like, well, if I'm going to get a free trip to London out of this, like, sure, I don't have to pay for that. So she agrees to go mainly out of convenience. 
Then they get there and the Baron tells her like, actually on second thought, I need you to stay with my friend for a little while. He'll keep you safe because I need to figure some stuff out, but I swear I'll be right back. And then I'll tell you all about your parentage and next steps because you are in very real danger. So they, you know, she introduces him to this taxidermist and sort of rough around the edges guy named Stoker. She stays with him for a few days and yeah, he's kind of amusing. He's trying to finish this big taxidermy project of a elephant, which is very interesting. But at that point, they are kind of getting sick of each other trying to figure out what to do next when the paper boy comes with the paper. And they realize that that baron who, you know, they're waiting to return any second now has actually been found dead in his home and it has made front page news. That is the catalyst for them having to essentially go on the run. And they do find out very quickly that, yes, somebody is definitely after Veronica. So they have to, you know, run and for their lives and then also maybe get to the bottom of what's happening. So as you probably picked up from it, these are historical mysteries set in Victorian England. Each of them obviously has a different case at its core. This last one that's coming out, the uh, murderous relation, is all about um, a case that, that Stoker and Veronica are asked to solve involving, well, really preventing a scandal with the royal family that involves Prince Albert. <laughs> and also, this is all going on at the time when Jack the Ripper was really becoming a thing and starting to sort of terrorize London. So these books are a lot of fun. I have a very soft spot for <laughs> Victorian mystery type of stuff. It's just so fun. And I love a really capable lady detective, which is obviously the thing that I also loved about the Lady Sherlock series. So th these are really fun for all of those reasons. I cannot wait to catch up. I've only on number two, but now I've got, you know, three others to dive into and you do too. So that is A Murderous Relation by Deanna Rayborn, a Veronica Speedwell mystery. My favorite vampire novel involves Victorian London and the royal family and Prince Albert and Jack the Ripper. It is called Anno Dracula by Kim Newman, which is so good. I had to mention that. Why have I never read that? Um, Because it's like a million years old. It's old, right? Yeah, I know. You but might I have been like... in elementary school when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I feel like so. I see it all the time. I'm like, I'm going to read that next. And it just... Oh, it's so good. There are several sequels, which I actually have not read. Sometimes when I love a book so much, and Same. it's like not... It wasn't <laughs> originally written to be a sequel. Like, I, I won't read the other ones around it. I'm like, I just want to have these memories. Um, But that, I, I just love that book. It's so, so, so good. Um, If you like vampires, it's definitely good. Also, related, did you see that um Gina Torres from Firefly is going to be in the new, like, Dracula reimagining? Yes. Ugh. I was like, ooh, I love her. I even, do too. I love her Even a lot. in Angel, I love her, even though that was, was just the most ridiculous, I was like, most ridiculous I have role ever. feelings about that, yeah. <laughs> but I just, I love her so much. Um, I still don't believe that anyone has ever looked as good in a dress as she does at the end of Serenity. Oh um, my God, I know. I Okay, I've gotten off track uh, with my <laughs> Gina Torres love. But uh, anyways, uh, so that is it for our new books this week. What are you going to read next? I am pretty sure I'm going to read Woven in Moonlight by, oh my gosh, I think it's Isabel Ibanez. It is this Latinx fantasy that's inspired a lot of by the events, like this historical set, um, like war essentially in Bolivia, which is a thing I don't think I've ever read a book about a, a set in, in anything to do with Bolivia. Plus, you know, Latinx fantasy. So it's right up my alley. I can't wait. Sharifa raved about it. And now it's my turn. Sweet. I am going to read The Silence of the White City by Eva Garcia Sainz. 
It is a huge bestseller in Spain and Latin America. I actually was speaking uh, with Ann Kingman from Books on the Nightstand podcast, which I know many people here used to listen to and love. Uh, she was telling me that this was her favorite book that she was repping this year. Um, and it's mm -hmm. the first in a trilogy about an inspector in Spain who is hunting for a serial killer. The inspector is called Kraken, which is pretty awesome. It has <laughs> it has ritualistic murders and it just and it's a trilogy. So, I'm super excited. I've been seeing like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo comparisons, but I don't see how that fits in given what I've read about it, but whatever. I finally have my hands on a copy and I'm excited to check it out. So, that is it for us this week. Uh, thank you to our sponsors. If you want to talk to us and tell us about how you spent your six days listening to all the books, you can <laughs> drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. You can find us online. We mainly hang out on Instagram. Uh, Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. That's B-U-E-N-O-S-D-I-A-Z-S-D. -S I am Friends and Comes Alive. Uh, and if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us so we can do another 250 episodes. Uh, and as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.